Housekeeping HQ Podcast, episode 47. This, this, this is the House Flipping HQ Podcast. Now, let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. Need funding for your deals? Looking to take your current house flipping business to the next level? Anchor Loans is one of only two companies that we currently are using to get our house flipping deals funded. Whether you're looking to get partial or full funding, Anchor Loans has a program that will work for you. For more information, visit anchorloans.com and as always, mention my name, Justin Williams, or House Flipping HQ so they know where you came from. Hey, hey, what's going on, my fellow flippers? Today, we have an incredible interview with the one and only Bruce Norris, a man who basically needs no introduction. I'll still give you one, but um, he's often referred to as the godfather of real estate. Most of the people I know, that is who they have learned from. This guy is the man, predicts markets. Just incredible. We talk about the market, uh, what he thinks is going on, where he thinks it's going, and why. And it's just an incredible interview. I'm still kind of shaking a little bit because I'm like starstruck. No, it was really cool, though. For me to have that opportunity to interview someone like Bruce Norris, um, and I was just honored for him to come on the show. So really quickly, just a quick reminder, go to houseflippinghq.com slash webinar if you would like to be uh, on our next webinar where I will roll out and discuss the details of the Fell Fast Flipping program. You can also go to fellfastflipping.com to get in on the details, and that is coming up here very quickly. So go ahead and check that out. And I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, so about our guest for today, you know, part of me is like, okay, this introduction could take 10 minutes. And part of me is like, do I even need to introduce Bruce Norris? But just really quickly, Bruce Norris has been uh, a full time investor for over 30 years. During that time, he's done over 2,000 transactions, been a part of 2,000 transactions, whether it is himself or whether he lent on those transactions or whatnot, he's been a partner on it. Um, He's renowned for his ability to forecast long-term real estate market trends and timing the release of the California Comeback Report in 1997 gained him much notoriety. The accuracy and extensive report led many California investors to financial freedom. His... January 2006 release, The California Crash, was an in-depth look at California's market correction and the statistics behind Bruce's prediction. Bruce has released subsequent following up uh, research, including Category 5 and All In Our Fold. Anyway, I'm not going to read this whole thing. It's insane. You can go to thenorrisgroup.com slash about slash Bruce Norris underscore Norris to read all of those details. Um, you know, Bruce Norris, everybody I know... Uh, Most of the people I know, unfortunately, I was not a part of uh, that, but most people I know, that is where they learned from those who didn't get, you know, screwed over by the guys that charged $25,000. Many, many people who I've interviewed on the show have learned from him. He is also, uh, he has a hard money lending company, so you can check that out at thenorrisgroup.com. Um, they raise a lot of money for charity every year. He has an event called I Survived Real Estate. I attended last year. It was incredible. Um, he has an award-winning podcast, Norris Group Real Estate Radio Show and Podcast, which you can check out on KTIE 590 AM or on, you can find it on iTunes as well. So anyway, I'm not going to 
Doant anymore. Uh, he's been on the news. He's amazing. He's just amazing. I uh, I feel like I'm had just interviewed a celebrity, which he is actually. So <laughs> anyway, uh, without any further ado, guys, I give you the one, the only, Mr. Bruce Norris. All right, Bruce, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you on. How are you doing today? Great. I appreciate getting the uh, chance to speak with you guys. I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I'm a little starstruck. So if you, you know, if I get silent and seem like I'm shaking, I probably am. <laughs> well, there's no reason I is I'm as normal as they come. So that's actually one of my great strengths is I have no pretense of who I who I'm not. Well, that's incredible. I I don't know. I think I mentioned this to you before one time, but you know, I don't know if you know this, but I usually hear you referred to as the godfather of real estate. So, oh brother, <laughs> <laughs> I've I've heard you, you referred know, to as deity as well, but we'll leave that off. I know, you know, we don't want to uh, go there, right? So, <laughs> you know, I want to tell you a little story. There was uh, in the early days of uh, me speaking, there was a promoter that was promoting my seminars, and they had some specialists come to listen to me speak for the day and uh, just get my general. Mm, presentation style so they could make suggestions. And at the end of the day, they, they got me uh, aside and they said, okay, well, the audience, uh, they really love you. He said, but you're, you're not aloof enough. He said, you, you eat lunch with them. You know, you're, you kind of mill around and talk with them before the day starts. He says, you, you have to get, you have to get aloof. You know, you have to run in like you're the all-star and all that. <laughs> and I just laughed and I said, you're really talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> I, totally. I, I I'm not going to do that. And I and I couldn't agree more. And I think that's why you're so well respected. You know, there's a lot of educators out there. And obviously, I'm sure you're aware of, of many of them who kind of put themselves on this platform. A lot of them don't even really do real estate or <laughs> very much. And, and they kind of put on that show. And I think that's why when you hear the name Bruce Norris or the Norris group, you don't hear... I've never heard one person say anything negative, anything about these guys are doing this. You know, it's it's just nothing but respect. Um, and that's what I try to emulate. And that's why, you know, I have guys like like you on, on the show. So I'm once again, honored. Well, I, I, I really do appreciate it. It's uh, it's made the journey a lot more fun that I don't have to hide behind, you know, hide from a certain group of people. You go, oh, yeah, well. We'll stay away from Pasadena this year. Yeah, <laughs> or exactly. Whatever. Just, just being yourself. So, all right, Bruce. Well, before we get diving into you know the content of your current business, and I know we talked about at the end, you're going to give us kind of a forecast on what you see going on in the marketplace. Um, for though, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction for those who who may not know who you are? There's always a few, right? Um, so for those of those who are on the call who may not know who you don't know who you are, maybe don't know some of your background, give us a little bit of your background and then bring us up to speed on what you're currently doing to find success in, in this market. Okay. Um, I mean, I started way back in 1980, 81. I worked for a large company in Orange County buying properties for them. I had no real estate experience at all when I went to go to work for them and, in the first month of the business, I bought 10 houses on commission. I made one year's worth of salary, basically, one year's worth of money for my world. And I did that the second month and the third month. And after three months, I had saved three years of money. And I, I quit from the company because of we just had business 
differences, how we treated people was very different and it was really making me unhappy. And so I left and I went on my own. And so that's uh, been quite a journey. There were pieces of the puzzle, Justin, I didn't have. When I was starting the real estate business, you know, buying in 1980, 81, I had no jargon down at all. I didn't know what a trust deed was or a grant deed. I just had the ability to pass on the story that we have cash, you have equity, our stuff is better than yours, and you should take it. And I was able to get a lot of yes answers just because I was driven and I could see opportunity that I had never seen before. So this business turned me on. It really did. You know, I was pretty jazzed. I love hearing that because I see so many people who are trying to get into this business and they feel like they need to know absolutely everything about this business. And to hear that you didn't even know a lot of those basic items, but you just knew we've got cash, you've got equity. How can we make this work? And you were able to put deals together because you were determined. I love hearing that. And I think the listeners really appreciate that. Yeah. The, you know, the ultimate trump card when it comes down is that you won't be denied that there's definitely young upstarts in this business that outperform very knowledgeable senior buyers, if you will, because they're just going after it and will not take no for an answer. And some of that drive comes from realizing that you provide value in the marketplace. So we're in the buy-sell business, and so maybe we're in escrow with between 10 and 20 properties at any one time. None of those close without some excitement. And if you don't understand what an all-cash offer does for the other side, and you can't portray how much easier that is then you're probably not going to buy very many properties. So, you know, I've been doing this a long time now, but I have never forgotten the value of you're about to get rid of a property very easily and not worry about it ever again. The cost of that is you're going to leave a piece of equity for me as a reward for me making it simple for you. It's really very simple. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard you use the CarMax analogy, which I often use now. And I think that's, yeah. that's great because I'm not a car person. Do you take, you know, I have a, one of those old VW buses. My wife thought it was cute and it'd be fun for our surf trips and stuff. <laughs> you know, it's a big hobby. It sits there. It doesn't run very well. And I would take, you know, $2,000 less, which is 20% less than what I paid for it right now. Someone just come take it off my hands. I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And then you, you know, that's when you start to realize, okay, what we, what we're doing has merit. Yes. And if I were on the other side of the table, I would certainly contemplate saying yes to this proposal because I don't have the expertise. Usually people just, they're misinformed. They think, oh, well, this is easy. This is a hot market. I just put up for stuff for sale and it's sold. Okay. Well, your house is going to get looked at. Maybe people aren't as honorable as you think. Oh, it's vacant. That's bad. Has it been vacant for 31 days? It's no longer insured. On and on and on. You know, do you know how to fight an appraisal that comes in low? Do you have contractors of all different types in case you need work done? Do you have a termite? You know, the question list goes a long way to where the people finally realize, well, maybe I really don't know what I'm doing. And, oh, here's a stack of 100 pages that are necessary during an escrow. Do you have a clue how to explain any of this to a seller? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. 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 Seriously. Okay. So you start, so anyway, you so the that's, that's my start. I don't, I don't know a thing. And that didn't come into play until after the three months I was with the company because I didn't have to know anything. That was one of the things that was important for me, Justin, is all I had to do was find a deal. I didn't have to repair it, sell it, 
finance it, make a payment. I just had to develop the skill to find the next one. Yeah. And for me, that was great because that was all I could handle at the time because I didn't, no one taught me how to research where deals might be. They didn't have a foreclosure list. They didn't have any teaching at all. Literally, they ran an ad on the penny in the penny saver and every sixth phone call was supposed to be mine. And I never waited for those phone calls. I just, if you owned a property, you were going to hear from me. Wow. If you had an expired listing, you were going to hear from me. If you yeah. had a foreclosure or you were going to get an offer. But after that three months, when I started doing it on my own, that's when the flaws started to show up. I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know how to do a repair estimate. I don't yeah. even know how to determine a appraisal value. And so that took a few years to get under my belt. Um, we got lucky between 85 and 89 prices accelerated like they did say between 2001 and 2005 and it was hard to mess up. And nice. so everything we touched, we made more on than we thought and we rose in the retail business. And so we were always buying and, and retailing houses and in 1990, there's, there was a transition that happened to where we quit dealing directly with owners and all of a sudden the MLS started to be filled with HUD, excuse me, HUD properties and REOs. And so the game changed and we started to build relationships with agents that controlled inventory. And that was the first cycle, at least I was conscious of, that it was of more value to chase relationships than property. Mm, and so we had a whole bunch of agents that would call us with deals first because we could perform. Yeah. And I got very good at attending auctions. And so we were... We were buying a slug of properties at the time. I still was working at home. Um, Craig Hill, the gentleman that runs our loan, loan business now, uh-huh. uh, I was his biggest customer borrowing money left and right. <laughs> nice. And so you know, we went through the, the REO stuff. And uh, by the mid-90s, you know, California came out of the doldrums about 97, started its gradual march up. And once again, the business changed. And so we started buying directly from people, but we got fortunate and we bought a 93 lot subdivision. We built it out and that was a home run. So that kind of carried us through the downturn. Kept you busy a while. REO business. Yeah. What, pardon me? That kept you busy a while. (laughs) I imagine. (laughs) Yeah. It kept us busy, but also just made a ton of money to where we really weren't forced to do anything, Yeah. which is really nice. You know, we, we started also playing with the idea of where this market is going in the mid nineties when, uh, my son Aaron graduated from high school, I remember buying him a Honda Civic that cost $15,700. And a couple of days later, I bought a house in Riverside for a 13, three. <laughs> and it just really stunned me. And I thought, Holy mackerel, what, what happened to California real estate? Yeah. So started studying the cycles to see if I could figure out how to determine what was next. And so when we wrote that report that prices would double, I mean, one of the beneficiaries certainly was me. I felt I could be aggressive because I wasn't worried about a downside anymore. Yeah. And I wanted to participate in buying when people were still in that bad mood. You're always at the opposite end of the mood cycle. If you're calling something that's about to happen, you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't be euphoric in 97 in California real estate unless you had the set of charts I had and you knew what was coming. Yeah. And in 2000, late 2005, you couldn't be depressed about California real estate uh, unless you were looking at the set of charts I was and going, um, we ought to get out of here. <laughs> and I honestly, I think getting out is more important than getting in on a timely basis uh-huh. because once things start going down, you don't have a lot of chances to exit. Yeah. And I want to ask you right now about that, but we're going to hold off. I'm going to 
bite my tongue. And we're going to hold off to see what the market's doing until at the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now you get me excited. I just want to talk about the market. But uh, let's keep keep going with <laughs> with your your story. Okay. Um, well, then, you know, then things start repeating themselves. And that's what's kind of neat about being in the business for a long period of time is that you do start seeing things reemerge that you already know how to do. So you go, okay, well, son of a gun, here comes the REOs. Do I have relationships with REO agents? As a matter of fact, they were calling us. Yeah. You know, they started calling us in 2008 and nine. Uh, Bruce, are you still going to be the buyer? <laughs> Yeah, I go, yeah, I'm all in, you know, so it's kind of funny, something you started in 92, Jeez. kicked off, you know, 16 years later, and they were making the phone call to us, a little bit of deja which is pretty neat. A little bit of deja vu there. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, like names you hadn't, hadn't talked to in eight or nine years unless you were friends with them, because there was no reason to talk to them about an REO. Yeah. So well, all well, of a sudden, you're, you're kind of back in that business, and there were some things that definitely changed the the industry of auctions went from live auctions to online auctions so that was sort of a, a surprise you know we felt like that was going to be a big deal and it really turned out to be kind of anticlimactic and it wasn't very well rewarded uh -huh. so you know but buying reos and buying below replacement costs was really pretty simple yeah and so that's uh, you know that was going on in 08 09 2010 maybe 2011. And then all of a sudden you started having a market start reversing itself and go up. And, you know, we did see that coming. We said it was going to go up pretty hard in 2013. And so getting and to and most today, people thought you were being too aggressive, but you weren't. <laughs> you nailed it. Well, you know, if anything, I've been too aggressive for 2014. Uh -huh. And I don't mind saying that that hasn't occurred. And we'll talk about that okay. because it's, it's real important when something, if you're in the predicting business and something doesn't occur, yeah. then you have to go back to your thesis and go, okay, wow, what man. is wrong or what has changed? Yeah, Because yeah, that's important. Yeah. So in, in, let's say 2005 in October or September, we write a report called the crash and uh -huh. prices accelerate for the next um, maybe 18 months. Uh-huh way past the affordability number we think is significant. So I had to look at that and say, okay, is my thesis wrong or has something changed? Yeah. And what had changed was the lending rules. Yeah. The lending rules didn't care if whoever bought a property could actually make a payment. So naturally affordability would go down to a record low because really no one cared if you made the payment because they weren't going to hold the paper uh -huh. by the time you were making a payment. Uh -huh. no, it's... And so you go, okay, this is different. And that's, it, the predicting business is always something that you never feel like you're done with. Nah. You're always looking at going, okay, well, we have a, we have a good running start and what we know matters. Yeah. And so when something is not happening, we look at it and go, okay, what's different. Uh -huh. And so that's kind of what, that's kind of what we do yeah. to get to the part of what investors are doing mostly today. And I can go outside of the box of what we're doing because we have a loan business that we see, you know, 25 to 30 yep. other deals every month. So yeah. we are now starting to see an influx of new builds. Okay. So we're having small track guys come in with six, eight house projects that are getting off the floor. We're seeing structures added on to that's okay. becoming pretty common. Yep. Um, we see letter campaigns and sign campaigns trying to talk to, with the owner directly. Yep. So we see less and less coming out of the MLS, 
less and less of REO for sure, uh-huh. less and less short sale, but still active short sale. But this is always the way it is. It always changes from one thing to the other. You know, the reason why it's important to know the difference, though, is your skills are different. You, skills are different when you buy directly from a person than when you build a relationship with an REO agent. Absolutely. Completely different. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember there was a time when I didn't even have to have a website or anything for several years. And people are like, you don't have a website? I can't believe it. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm buying trustee sells and properties on the MLS. Why do I need a website? <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It changes. And now I've got a question for you. You have a website that you drive people to? And then respond to from there. How does how we, does well, we, we have just kind of to your point? I mean, it, what's fat? Let me kind of back up a little bit here. So I've been doing real estate full time for seven years now. And what is so fascinating okay. to me for those seven years, I never woke up and one day all of a sudden it was super easy. Yet I have so many people telling me, oh, well, what are you going to do when this changes and when you can't flip houses anymore and when you can't make money in real estate? And I, I just look at guys like you and I think, you know, I could be wrong, maybe tell me your opinion, but I don't see how there's going to come a time when you can't make money in real estate. Uh, Correct. I you just, just change. Exactly. You just have to change gears. You just adapt and you change. I have people asking this all the time. Um, so that first off was interesting hearing you walk through, you've been doing this for over 30 years and you're telling me that you've kind of seen the same thing. You just keep adapting. So I, I feel the same way. I have the same philosophy in, in that regard. So Kind of going off of that, you know, when I started out, I was doing um, short sales. And then, you know, the market, I heard you talking about that change and it started to get kind of weird and <laughs> dicey. And the, <laughs> I remember you talking about, you know, the FBI and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. So I, you know, that's all I knew when I started was short sales and someone taught me to do it this way. And I started to think, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> so I got into, um, and I was wholesaling and stuff like that. And then I got into after three years, REOs and and trustee sales. Um, And then that started to get kind of tough. And then so last year, we were really focusing on working a lot with wholesalers. And then this year, we've really been we're still working with wholesalers, but we've really been ramping up our um, direct marketing, just like you talked about everything you've Mm -hmm. you've kind of mentioned. Um, So the website is kind of a new thing for me, actually, in the last couple months. Um, we've been doing some online marketing there, but it's kind of a new thing. I don't we haven't bought a house from it yet. I don't have any direct results there. Um, so I don't have a great answer for you in that regard, I guess, but when someone wholesaled you a home, did you retail it or did you re-wholesale it? We retail everything. Actually, you are the only person that I wholesaled anything to last year. You bought four okay. houses for me. I don't know if you even know that, but <laughs> sure. I do know it, but I, I wasn't a part of the, uh, purchase, the but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. So hopefully those have gone well for you. Okay. Yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so, um, and so I, anyway, that's, uh, it's interesting, you know, when you come into a market for the first time, you know, when you came into, in 2007, uh, you might've been attracted because it was looking so good. I mean, honestly, in 07, it hadn't turned ugly yet. But oh no. You were, yeah. No, we were the, very the lucky. first two years. The first two years you were in it was literally the Great Depression of real estate. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's crazy. I mean, we were lucky, and no, we were lucky, I would say, because we were close to buying our own personal residence, which didn't work out. Uh, we were in Bakersfield at the time, and we I started off with wholesaling because that's all I was taught. That's what I knew to do, and I'm very grateful that I did because I saw a lot of those houses decline pretty dramatically. 
Um, and right. then after about a year, you know, I heard I had a friend of mine was talking about how she she was actually from L.A. and she was a real estate investing friend of mine. And she was going to hear Bruce Norris and she was just going on and on about how you predict the markets. And that's the first I heard of you. That's the first I heard of an investment club. I didn't even know these things existed. I was just, <laughs> you know, giving $15,000 to the guys that would didn't really do real estate and, you know, had someone tell me he was going to give me a car that he never did. Anyway, it's crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's the first I heard of you. And fortunately, I think that was when you were starting to, or you had already, and she let me know like, Hey, you got to be careful. Things are really starting to decline. And I saw that coming, but you helped me know because everyone kept thinking, Oh, it can't get any lower. It can't get any lower. Oh, it sure did get lower. <laughs> so <laughs> following you. And I know of tons of people I listened to that I talked to today say that those who it's like those who followed you and what you were saying ended up just fine. They pulled out in time. It's just incredible. So Anyway, didn't mean to go off on a tangent there, but it's pretty amazing. No, but you know, can you imagine, first of all, I've got a high school diploma. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So there's a lot of economists that you know have PhDs that look at the same charts and come up with a different conclusion. And I guess I'm saying that to stress how important it is to be a part of a market. You're a participant in the market since 2007 to 2014. Yeah. You can probably tell an economist better than they can what a chart means because you've experienced a stretch that has turned from we think it's still good to oh my god it's awful. Absolutely. This has gone up. Yeah. So when someone tells you an interest rate chart is all important, um, you know you can probably look at that with some skepticism and say, well, wait a minute, interest rates were really cheap in 2010 and 2011, and it really didn't do anything to the marketplace. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, affordability was so high, you'd think everybody would want one, yet we had to induce people to buy it with eight grand uh-huh. uh, as a tax bonus. Yeah. So all of a sudden, your market participation really trumps somebody's PhD. Uh-huh. Because you can look at these things and go, wait a minute. Yep. That isn't what happened. Yep. <laughs> and I'll have or hear people say certain things are going on in the market, and you know we'll have, you know, twenty houses in the pipeline, and several of those that were listed are just sold. And all I do is call my assistant and say, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and, and I can get <laughs> exactly. a better feel than most people. Um, and you know, the news comes out like a month later after we already kind of knew what's going on because you control the inventory. You know the calls you're getting. You know the offers you're getting. You know what's going on. So, Right. You know the appraisal problems, uh, the lender hesitancy, uh, the buyer, you know, who's they don't have money but they want to have it or how many investors are out there with a billion dollars. There's nothing to replace experience. And so that's when the other thing is when you don't have an agenda, whenever somebody tells me their opinion I usually like to know if they've written a document. I usually like to know if they have end game that needs to go in a certain direction because that skews what they say. Yeah, absolutely. What's so their, yeah. That's, yeah. That's why I like our agenda is where to put Bruce Norris's dough. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a so, great agenda. Yeah. In other words, <laughs> I'm about to do what I'm telling you. So at least if I'm wrong, you can know that I'm there with yeah, you. And, yeah. and you know, and so and so let's talk about this market let's because this is let's a unique a unique market. We have never seen this set of charts with this slow of volume and without price increases. Okay. Ever. Okay, so when you can say something like that, you have to look for reasons that aren't normal. Uh-huh. So 
you know, you just start thinking, okay, there's hesitancy in the market across the board. There's people that are told that interest rates are probably going to remain low for a long period of time. So I think there's hesitancy to step up to the plate right now because what's going to be the difference? There's not a lot of price increases right now. Interest rates are probably going to stay pretty low. I don't know that there's any big motivation. If you're a lender, the hesitancy is we still are getting fined $10 billion for what we did in 06 and 07. Mm -hmm. So they're hesitant to pull out any programs that are aggressive because they're not done dealing with the damage that they just had. It's already done. Yeah. Right. So what, you know, what about the job situation? Uh, You could be hesitant there. Well, um, I have a job, but I don't know if I could, I'm in a strong enough position to ask for a raise. Uh I'm not even sure the industry is going to thrive. And so there, there's just a lot of uncertainty and you start weighing this in and you have an absence of volume of sales. And most of those sales are missing from the first-time buyer category. That normally represents 45% of the marketplace in this part of the cycle. And we're somewhere between 25 and 28%. So your sales are down because that big group of people is saying either I, I'm not sure I want to yet uh, or the lender is telling them no. But there, there's another thought, and this is, you know, this typical first-time buyer is younger in age. I'm wondering, and I don't know how to measure this. How do you measure the psychological damage of somebody that, let's say, a senior in high school in 2007 and watches their family lose their shorts on the home they own, emerges as a graduate in 2012 mm-hmm. and says, I'm not sure I ever want to own one of those. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting because, yeah, the talk conversation, it used to always be ownership. And now it's kind of like I was even at the gym yesterday and I just saw on HGTV, there's like a show called Buy or Rent. It's like it didn't used to be that. No, everyone was like, how can I buy a house? And now it's like, hmm, what do I want to do type thing? So and I and well and so you there's probably 20 categories that I've contemplated and if if I do write a report next year it'll it'll have to do with this subject because it may be a permanent shift huh. to where okay we're we normally are doing 450 thousand to 500 thousand sales right now and we're bouncing around 360 is it because there's no real demand hesitant demand, no capable demand, or we just don't have anybody interested beyond the volume that we currently have in real estate period because they're going to rent. Yeah. So it's a, again, when, whenever you have something happen for the first time, you start looking at things, you know, and say, okay, what's different? Well, what's different is also lending policies. So in, when you joined the party in 2007, FHA was loaning, of all the loans they were doing, something like, try to get this pretty accurate, I think about 64% of their business was being done to a FICA score under 580. Wow. And by 2012 and continuing, it was less than 10%. That's that big piece that's missing of volume is that we have a first-time group of buyers that have FICO scores 
that need to be, you know, closing in on 700 and they're under 600. And just now are we saying uh, Wells Fargo came out and said, we'll loan to a 600 FICO score with an FHA loan. Carrington came out and said, we'll loan to a 550 FICO score. So we're just now starting to see those decisions be made. So we are seeing some that, of that though. Yeah, we are seeing some of that, but that hasn't taken hold in 2014. Gotcha. And it, but it should in, it should later. Uh, the other thing it's very hard to go up in how many properties are for sale when 90% of your market is the equity seller who becomes a buyer as soon as there's close. Yeah. How many of your sales, again, this is from market, just you're in the market. How many of your sales are contingent in, you know, in other words, they have, they're wanting to buy something else and their offer is contingent on this one closing. We, you know, it's funny. We, I think we just got one like last week like that. So, okay. Yeah. There's so a few. maybe 25% of our sales are that now. Oh, wow. That okay. they want to buy our house, but they have one in escrow, but it's got to close. That's really interesting. I'll have to ask Vanessa what she's seeing. So I, yeah, that's well, that's interesting. Huh? I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. Cause sometimes you go into like a, an echo chamber. So that was one of those times. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> I said, I'll have to double check with, with Vanessa who manages all my escrows and, and see if, if there's any more than the one I'm thinking of, but that's, that's really interesting. Well, and it, and it definitely makes sense, you know, and that, that's the other hesitancy is, okay, I have a loan. Can I qualify for a new loan? I mean, really, when I sell this house, I want to be a homeowner. What's my assurance that when I get my net check, I'm going to actually be able to get a yes answer from the lender in this environment. Hmm. And I think people are just like, maybe, nah, nah never mind. What about the group of people that, can you imagine trying to be a first-time buyer, trying to need an FHA loan in 2013? Yeah, no, that, yeah, that'd be tough. It was, everything was cash offers. Uh-huh. So I think a whole group of people went underserved and went to the sidelines and said, you know what, we want to own, but you know what, we're going to put it off for a year, we're going to rent. Yeah, and now they're renting and they're settled. Exactly. Yeah, huh. And so they'll have to you know, reattempt that at uh, some point in the future. But I think that's a discouraged group that wanted to, didn't get a chance to, and we'll come back, uh, we'll come back and do it. Yeah. But maybe, you know, once you turn that button off and say, okay, well, we'll rent, maybe rents, maybe rentals all of a sudden don't feel so bad. They don't have to fix anything. And, but I can tell you human nature usually kicks in when their neighbor makes 50 grand of equity gains and they didn't, mm-hmm. Usually greed kicks in and they say, well, I, I, you know, I need one. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So this year, I mean, I know what I feel like I've seen with our inventory, but what have, have you seen from your experience in talking to people? Do you feel like there's been just kind of like a flat line or small increase or small decrease? No, I think it's, I think it really depends on your location. Uh So, and it's, if you if you had to look at charts, you know, I guess if you have inventory that's under three months, you probably have had a chance for some price uh, uh, go, prices going up. If it's been over four months, you probably haven't. Yeah. So it's it's kind of selective. Some areas went up very aggressively, and now, but you know what? There's a couple of things. I, it drives me crazy. Okay, well we're in a cooling off period. Yeah. Is there a history of cooling off? The answer is no. When prices start marching forward, they get the, the increases usually get bigger 
every year until we're done. Uh So the human being doesn't require cooling off. Normally, (laughs) normally it requires somebody at the lending position saying, I know you want this, but we can't let you have it. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, you get a whole room of economists and their, their final comment is, well, the market is slowed down because affordability has declined. And so when affordability declines, less people can afford to buy and they can afford uh-huh. to buy less house. And it, it sounds like the perfect mathematical equation yeah. that couldn't possibly be wrong, yeah. but historically it's absolutely it wrong. It is wrong. Yeah, yeah so when that. prices accelerate and affordability goes down, volume increases every time except for 2014. Mm-hmm. So it's not the human being side of it unless we've really changed the nature of how we view owning a house. And I don't know how to measure that yet. Yeah. So we're kind of in this limbo area where it's hard to tell where we're at. (laughs) Well, you, you have, you know, again, you just want to get a reason after reason that might add a piece of the puzzle. You have a generation that just went through literally a great recession in our industry, a great depression Uh that, that stifles household creation. Yeah. So people don't create households. But this generation was on their way to that anyway. They ain't going to get married until they're 29. Yeah. yeah. And that's very unusual. It's almost seven years later than my generation created a family. Yeah. And when they create families, it's uh, with less kids. Uh-huh. And there's lots of households that are single households. Uh-huh. So now you have to go, okay, well, wait a minute. We, we only have one earner in a lot of percentage of purchases. Yep. So is our affordability chart really reflecting something that isn't even occurring anymore? Uh-huh. Where the assumption was we have two workers in that household where now there's a lot of percentage that we don't. Okay. So I would have to say that if I decide to write something next year about this, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of math. Because I'm going to have to look at, okay, what percentage of these households are single? What are their actual income? So now let's take a look at an affordability chart and rework an entire history on single capacity. So in other words, one earner, what is the affordability rate for that group? Bruce, you're That'll just, be quite a challenge. You're just reconfirming <laughs> why whenever anybody asks me what I think is going to happen in the market, I say, I just follow Bruce Norris. Because <laughs> I am not going to do well, everything you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but but you can see that it's not it's just not an easy answer. Oh, I, no, I do get a kick no. out of when people tell me, you know, uh, oh yeah, yeah, we, we saw that just coming kidding. in two thousand and six oh, or yeah, seven, you know, yeah. and I go, fantastic. Can I? I'd love to read your document. <laughs> I always ask them that. Oh, we didn't write anything. We just knew that was going to happen. Oh, I, oh, okay. I knew it was going to happen. No one ever. <laughs> and what's funny is sometimes I hear people talk about both things that were going to happen. And then they just claim the one that was right. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like an economist. There you go. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What most people are good at is telling you where we are and taking no risk as to where we're going. Yeah. Okay. So do, I mean, it sounds to me like you don't really have an answer of what you think might happen for the rest of the year. Or do you have a, some kind of what you think might happen? It looks to me that we're going to have a pretty boring year. We probably will have more volume in the past, in the next six months than we had in the first six months. Okay. If only because lenders are now going to start the process of loaning to people that have been getting a no answer. Um, 
to me, that looks like 2015 should be better than 2014, and there's plenty of affordability historically for the, us to have price increases. Okay. So I'm not, if you're asking me, you know, at this point, do I think I should be a seller because we're at the top of the market? The answer is no. No. Okay. How quickly we'll get to the top of the market? That's a great question that, you know, I fortunately feel like I understand the math of the end game. But how you get there this time could be very, really different. Yeah. Your interest rates are at historic lows, and we are very accustomed since, well, since you've gone into this business, I mean, basically since 2008, uh-huh. the Fed hasn't moved interest rates at all. Yeah. yeah. So you've had six years of the Fed fund rate being virtually at a what, a zero to a quarter percent. Yeah. The year I got into the business in 1980-81, the Fed changed interest rates 21 times in 12 months. Jeez. Okay. So that means if you're in an escrow for 45 days, your borrower got three interest rate hikes wow. during the escrow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, okay. we're, we're, it's hard to tell you, yeah. you know, what, what participation rising interest rates at some point might play in, in cutting back the price increases. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of things that I have to contemplate that I haven't, ever had to yeah no and and you're kind of reconfirming what i feel like you know we're seeing or what i you know once again not that i knew it was gonna saw it coming or anything but (laughs) what um nothing you know it's not the end of the world we're not gonna see this huge dip but probably not some crazy acceleration in 2014 just kind of like you said kind of a boring year yeah and that's and you know what again that's not what i expected yeah i just I thought we would repeat 2013 because there's no history that says we wouldn't. Absolutely. Um, except for we haven't. So when you when you haven't, you just say, okay, that didn't occur, and it's the first time. So why? But that's what makes and, real estate so exciting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, what drives me nuts is when people give the reason why, and yet it's never happened before, for that reason. Absolutely. That's the main thing I teach my staff is. When someone tells you something, dig deeper, find out why, where is that coming from? Don't just take yeah. it at face value. <laughs> yeah. It, did that happen in the seventies, the eighties and the nineties? If you have a history of that being true, then I'm going to, I'll really probably accept what you just said. But if that's never happened, then don't tell me that's the reason. And the danger of buying into an easy reason is you don't research any further and find the hard reason. Yeah. Absolutely. And if, if it's lender driven, if it's policy driven and you don't take responsibility that you've you've just caused a real estate recession on the backs of your Dodd Frank, then you don't change Dodd Frank. Yeah. That's what's frustrating. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. We can go at that for another hour. So <laughs> <laughs> um okay, that's been yeah, that's really really good information. Now, with the slowing of the market, I mean, are you seeing margins? Do you feel like they're going to loosen or at all, or what are you seeing? You would think they would loosen, but yeah, you would. I think um, it's interesting. We still buy trustee sales. We know that the margins are razor thin. That normally you would be, you wouldn't even want to buy at these levels. Uh-huh. And there's probably going to be a few survivors that end up with bigger margins because everyone else doesn't get rewarded for the effort. Uh-huh. 
And so that's probably what's going to occur is that you will have a lot of discouraged people say, well, this, this doesn't make sense. I'm out of here. Yeah. And like when, me. when enough people leave, <laughs> well, it, it makes perfect sense. If you have something else that's better to replace it, yeah. um, the margins will be bigger, but it's still a competitive environment. Just, I think because, you know, partially because of access to information is so much easier. Yeah, definitely. Um, your darn friend. I think that's uh, over at foreclosure. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I didn't get him Sean on the. I didn't get Sean on the, the interview too. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny that, uh, but that's a big deal. You know, you can access information so much easier that you can get up to snuff really fast. Uh huh. And that's uh, that's definitely added to the competition from people that aren't as sophisticated and have nothing to look at and say, well, the margins are used to be twice this big. They just know that, uh, you know, if they're not buying something for, you know, 88% of value, they're probably not getting anything. Do you mind? Yeah, I was going to say, is that about what you're, where you're at? About 88% or? Uh, between, it, it's probably between 85 and 87, depending on if it's vacant. And that's minus repairs. And yeah, of course, when we don't get into them. We don't get into them very often. So you're really using your own experience level and we have plenty of that. So we can look at it and be pretty accurate about what it's going to cost. Nice. Cool. Very good. Well, Bruce, um, wow, you've been uh, very generous. I appreciate your time. I know it's very valuable. So thank you for, for coming on today. Um, I wanted to talk really quickly about, I know you have the millionaire makeover coming up here in a few weeks <laughs> it's called the millionaire maker but the makeover oh man did i really <laughs> i i thought it was yeah millionaire make i knew that i knew that <laughs> so i see you're not coming huh <laughs> yeah i'm you know i'm usually a last minute entry so uh so we'll have to see my main focus right now is go to costa rica this week and then <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't blame it. And try to stay on vacation while you're there. <laughs> no, I've been to your seminars. I've been to your uh, last year, went to um, the... See, I'm just not good at remembering what things are called. I survived real estate. Um, everyone right. everyone I talk to, ev most of my colleagues and friends, you're the guy they've learned from. I happen to be stuck in Bakersfield. And for some reason, I didn't know about Bruce Norris and Mike Cantu and all these clubs and amazing educators down here. So I, you know, spent thousands of dollars <laughs> and learned the hard way. But anyway, so. Well, you know, a Mainer maker, it's not just training about real estate. It's trying to figure out how to bring the best Bruce Norris to the business of real estate. And so what we do is we try to entice our best self, our greatest self, our most committed self to the business for a concentrated period of time. Most of my success have come in bite-sized chunks of time with massive effort and concentration on something that I knew would be worthwhile. You have to have be in the mindset to make and keep promises to yourself, and we usually do that very poorly. Mm -hmm. And that's what The Millionaire Maker is about. It's about figuring out, okay, what... Uh, well, and the way I've called it is what box were you given? When we were raised, we usually had a kind of a sense of what what the adult life for us was going to be about. Remember the movie Rudy? Yep. Okay. Rudy was supposed to work in a factory. That's what he was supposed to do. Yep. When his dad heard he was going to Notre Dame, trying to go to Notre Dame, it was just such a pipe dream. It, it made him mad. Uh -huh. 
And when Rudy was actually going to the bus to get on the bus, his dad came and sat on the bench next to him and said this. He said, Rudy, Notre Dame is for rich kids, smart kids, great athletes. It's not for a Rudiger. He said, you can have a darn good life, but you're going to work in the factory. And Rudy said, that's not the box I'm going to be stuck with. Love that. And he created his own life. What's not part of the movie is Rudy had four other brothers that were younger than him that never worked in the factory and got college degrees because Rudy created different size of box. That's what the millionaire maker is about is that this is not just your life that's at stake. It's your legacy to whoever you raise, whoever watches you that, you know what, there's a bigger box and it, it doesn't have to be that we create wealth. Mike Cantu is one of the speakers and I really respect the decision he's made because when you're a teacher, you have to set an example. Mike Cantu has been a lifetime smoker for the 60 days after this millionaire maker. We're in this together with a promise of a, a particular goal for each of us. Mike Cantu has promised to give up smoking for 60 no days. No way. That's a big, wow. That's a big deal to me. That's awesome. Yeah. He, so if he said he was going to find four houses, so what? He does that every month. Yeah. He doesn't quit smoking. And it's going to be as hard for him to do that every day. He has to keep a promise to himself every day that he's never done before. Yeah. That's what a millionaire maker asks of everybody is, okay, for the next 60 days, we're going to set a promise to ourselves. We're going to keep it because that's good practice. Keep a promise to yourself that's tough and own up to a whole group that you're doing it or you're not. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, And I absolutely agree with with everything you said. how for those who are interested how can they how can they sign up i do not i don't refer a lot of educators to my my audience you know um you're one of the very few (laughs) so so, but i'd highly encourage anyone i know you have like a 60 days after they sign up where where you're going to continue to do some mentoring and stuff like that Um, we're going to do that through webcast uh podcast rather there'll be podcast with the people that were speakers with me. Um, we haven't set that schedule yet, but one of the speakers, uh, do you know who Diana Nyad is? Um, I think so. Diana. Diana Nyad was, uh, she's a 62 year old woman that, uh, swam between Cuba. Oh and yeah, Florida. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I was, okay. I, as name sounds familiar, I was thinking of a real estate investor. But yes, okay. <laughs> I know I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> okay. I mean, the only human being to ever do that, and she did it when she was 62 oh years gosh. old. That's incredible. So on Friday night, on July 18th, we're going to watch the documentary of her doing that. And actually, what's even more impressive is the four failed attempts where she'd failed to do it. Wow. Because why she's is... coming is I have never seen anybody any human being try as hard as this woman did. It's humbling. And I, you look in the mirror and go, okay, well, if I've ever thought I really tried at anything, you know, forgive me. There's another level I didn't know about. I love that you say the four failed attempts because since I've been kind of doing some education as well, I've realized so many people get so focused on the end result. And when failure comes along the way, they think it's over. So I've kind of been promoting failure lately and saying, <laughs> you will fail. It's not a matter if you'll fail. So when you fail, just be excited. Hey, I'm failing. This is great. Right. And to hear that she failed four times and kept going, that's, that's incredible. Well, her failures were success because, um, when she left, 
the water, she was near death every time. Wow. In other words, there was no doubt that, my God, the woman gave more of herself to a goal that she just literally dreamed up. She, when her mother died um, at 84, she was 60, and she asked herself two questions. She said, ah, have I done everything I intended to do, and am I living a life that I'm proud of? And awesome. she realized that she had failed to swim to Cuba when she was uh, from Cuba to Florida when she was 30. And she literally hadn't gotten in a pool for 30 years when oh she decided gosh. that's what she would do. Jeez, that's amazing. <laughs> so you've got her so, and then you've got Ben Gay, the third. Ben Gay and then and Mike and Tony and, Tony. and myself. And, you know, we're really going to be talking a little bit more personally about, okay, what was the thing we had to overcome. We were, none of us, see what's interesting, a lot of us weren't raised to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, me either. A lot of that originated for our clan inside of us. Uh-huh. And so that's what's unique and not what I want people to realize that whatever box you're in or you can find yourself to, you can break out of that. That is your choice. You don't have, you don't have to stay there anymore. Absolutely. And then I see you have a lot of other speakers here Holly McCann, well, they're all, Solis, Doug well, they're they're not speakers in a sense; they're panelists. And the what panelists, we did is okay. we got we sort of got a what I consider a young gun panel, a women's panel, and um, the experience panel. And I think what was the word that Aaron used? Anyway, he has a great word for it. So we have people that have lived the life for a long time, yeah. and looking back, okay, what would they have done differently? Why did they take this journey? And how rewarding has it been? Each of these people have been interviewed, and part of what you get in The Millionaire Maker is you get these recordings of these interviews, and some of them have been uh, actually really fascinating. And there's a theme that we'll share with, there's lots of differences, but there is one common denominator of all of their success, and it's really the theme of The Millionaire, the millionaire Maker. They wouldn't give up. Yeah, that's It wasn't easy, but they would not give up. I love it. I've interviewed a handful of these guys and good friends of several of them. So I know they're the real deal. So, um, okay, cool. So how would people sign up if they're interested in attending? You know, you just get to the website, the norrisgroup.com and there's a millionaire maker event. It's just and, right there. Um, it's just the real, you'll it's see just it right, right there. Right, I'm, I'm on it yeah. right now. So it's boom. You'll okay. see it. Okay, cool. Click on that. Okay. Well, Bruce, okay. um, thank you so much. Once again, I feel like I have, uh, accomplished something great just by being able to interview you so <laughs> <laughs> well it's been a lot of fun thanks a lot justin okay we'll talk to you soon okay bye-bye Bye. direct mail is the number one method myself and most other investors are using in today's market to buy discounted investment properties and yellowletters.com is the company we use to get the job done for us not only are the folks at yellowletters.com expert marketers, but they are real estate investors themselves. So they understand exactly what you need to be successful in this business. Contact a rep at yellowletters.com today to begin working on a direct mail campaign that fits your real estate investment needs and budget. And mention the code HFHQ to get 10% off your next order. All right, guys. Well, I hope you really like that. Um, Bruce is amazing. And, you know, I try to bring you guys the best guests possible on the show. Um, and I think we have just set the bar 
really high with Bruce. So you can go to housemanghq.com slash episode 47 to check out the links and show notes. By the time you are listening to this, I will actually be in Costa Rica with my incredible wife. We will be celebrating our 10-year anniversary, June 23rd. It'll be an amazing 10 years. And, you know, it's just kind of a cool moment of reflection, you know, because I've been, you know, married for 10, business for nine, uh, real estate for seven, and we've been through a lot together. And it's just going to be really cool to for this 10 year anniversary this is the biggest trip we've ever taken by far um and you know before we couldn't go on a trip like this and not that it's even a super expensive trip it's just we couldn't afford it so it's just really cool what real estate has done for us and that we're able to you know i'm here talking to you guys now and then tomorrow i'm going to be getting on a plane um and going and spending some time with this amazing person who helped me get here and it's just really cool. It would not be possible without real estate. So keep at it, guys. Uh, keep at it. You know, Bruce and I, a lot of the things we talked about, it's just, it's not about those who, you know, succeed right away or not, because no one succeeds right away. It's about those who keep going and keep trying. So as far as next week goes, no, I will not be doing an interview next week while I'm in Costa Rica. So I may not have a podcast, but I'm thinking that right when I get back, um, I usually have a couple days before I get this over to Mark for production. He gets mad when I'm late. So um, I'll probably do again like what we did last week, and I might give you another video, which I used in the beta program, another interview I did there. Um, So hopefully we can get something out to you guys then. All right, and with that, have an amazing week. Keep doing your thing. Hopefully, Kale buys me a house while I'm gone with all those calls he's been getting. Um, and I'll be looking forward to giving you an update on that. And we will see you guys, as always, on the flip side. Bye-bye. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your, your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos, and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.